0: Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp. Um, we are here with the whole crew for a special message about some very sad news that we got this uh, weekend, just before this episode was released, about the passing of Aaron Eisenberg, who played Nog on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Um, we recorded this episode about the Deep Space Nine documentary about a week ago, and we um, you know, had no idea that this was coming. Um, It's very, very sad news and it's been very touching to see all of the tributes come in uh, online over the past couple of days. Um, So wanted to just take a couple moments with everyone to add our thoughts and uh, to send our best wishes uh, to his uh, friends and family at this very difficult time. would uh do you want to uh start grace
1: yeah absolutely um for one thing even though i'd only met aaron a couple times he was this incredible personality at the star trek conventions i'd been to he always had this tremendous energy and positivity and i think there's going to be a huge void where that was uh come next year and he's going to be so sorely missed outside of just being an Excellent actor and ally and someone who was really great in this community of fans and people working in and behind the scenes of Star Trek of continuing a conversation and normalizing living with ongoing health issues. And I think that was really important to a lot of us. And he's going to be so intensely missed. So pour out a root beer for him and we'll be seeing him.
0: Absolutely. Um, Andy, did you have thoughts?
2: Yeah, um the number one thing that I think of when I think of Aaron is his kindness. He cared about people. He cared about his friends and his family, but he also cared about like all of us. He was an activist, you know? And he cared about the world being a better place and I'm just really sad that he's gone and that we're going to miss him so much and that his voice is no longer going to be out there because I think that kind of kindness is rare and really needed in our world today, so I'm just it's
0: heartbreaking yeah a hundred percent I've been uh, really enjoying going back and looking at his tweets um, you know obviously wasn't catching them all um, and so looking at you know his uh comments on politics always with you know a really good sense of humor and uh, consciousness of you know the why we get involved in these causes, uh, you know, fighting for the people that need it um, um, and uh, trying to, I guess, raise up the people who are the most marginalized and look out for the future of our world. Uh, Sue.
2: Yeah. I would say that most of my uh, chats with Aaron were more so about kidney health than they were about Star Trek. Uh, My, my dad is also a kidney transplant recipient So there was a a lot of nuanced stuff that you can really only talk about with somebody who gets it, somebody who has been there and he was always so willing to share and so open about his experience and also like willing to commiserate, but in a way that never really lasted long. You know, he was always looking towards uh, the hopefulness and, and what was coming rather than you know, being stuck in, in any sort of, of rough patch, and I think that was, that was really inspiring, and what, what's really struck me over the last day or so has been, uh, everyone I've seen on social media uh, refer to him as a friend, you know, so we're a community that when, when someone in the Star Trek family uh, passes on, everybody mourns, but not usually with, with this type of, of personal uh resonance right that everyone is saying i'm going to miss my friend not this actor or this celebrity or this this part of this community but so many people uh truly feel that they've lost a friend this weekend and i think that that speaks to just how aaron was able to connect with just about everyone that he came across and that is is rare
0: yeah absolutely it's i mean of course um, you know, his contribution in the show was really incredible. And I mean, we all think of um, It's Only a Paper Moon and um, the incredible work he did in that episode. But, um, you know, know that he also had these um, family connections with the actors on the show. And there have been some some really beautiful, uh, touching comments from some of his fellow actors, but um, it went beyond that and uh, i think every convention he went to and uh, appearance he made um he was really connecting with people on that personal level and um yeah i i just i i wish that i had taken more time to to go up and talk to him while he was with us so his memory
1: be for a blessing
0: yeah absolutely um so um we will uh continue um with the this episode for the week. Um, honestly, I mean, if we had been watching this episode, or this uh, the documentary and talking about it tomorrow, we might have, like, our discussion might be very different than it was a week ago, just in terms of the tone, and we probably would have talked more about um, Aaron's role in the documentary, um, but uh, I think it it is a good time to still pay tribute to Deep Space Nine, and, um, just uh, sending all of our thoughts um, to his family um, and his truck family um, as we go forward into the next little while.
1: Take care of yourselves. We've lost a friend in the community and if you need to process that, process it as you need to.
0: Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name's Jera, and thanks for tuning in. Today with us, we have Grace. Hey, everybody. And Sue. Hello there! And we are going to talk about the Deep Space Nine documentary, What We Left Behind. Uh, but first, a little bit of housekeeping. As usual, our show is supported entirely by our patrons on Patreon. Uh, this helps us do things like keep the show up and running, pay for equipment, and the hosting, and getting it to conventions, and making cool buttons, and things like that. Um, so if you're able to, hop on over to slash women at warp, and for a small monthly donation, you can help us do all those things, plus get access exclusive online bonus content
1: help us extend our reach
0: yes you can also help us out by leaving us a rating or review on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts to help more people find the show any other housekeeping
2: well we do have a giveaway to announce what uh when i was in philadelphia a few weeks ago for the respect women's pod fest uh we were gifted a giant rainbow tribble from Adopt-A-Tribble uh, to give away on the show. So Molly at Adopt-A-Tribble has a habit of naming her tribbles after activists in some way. So in order to enter for this giveaway, we would like you to email us at crew at women dot com and tell us what you would name this rainbow tribble. Again, email us at, at crew at women at warp.com. Tell us what you would name this rainbow tribble named after an activist. Uh, and entries will be open until October 13th. So get this in by the end of the day, by midnight Eastern time, U.S. on October 13th. And uh, we will randomly choose a winner. Awesome.
0: Well, um, if without further ado, then, let's get into what we left behind um i'm interested actually before watching the documentary what were you hoping for from this documentary did you have like an idea of what you hoped it would cover or the way that it would approach this topic the black sheep of the star trek family (laughs) well i was
1: really hoping they'd go into into that and it's kind of the first thing they cover that um anytime you're having a conversation about deep space nine in a star trek space it's going to be colored kind of by that idea that it's it's not the favored series to a lot of people
0: yeah definitely how about you Sue? did you have any preconceived ideas well we knew that they were doing the fan interviews Mm -hmm.
2: right i was excited for that i i love seeing that sort of thing in a documentary but was hoping it would not be the whole thing Mm -hmm. which it was not so i think they they
0: used those well i guess or maybe a better question would also just be were you surprised by the beginning of the documentary when you know, it starts out, it's got basically starts out with Max Gridentik at a piano?
2: I mean, not really.
1: <laughs> I mean, we've all been to Star Trek conventions. So I think there's very little left that can surprise us.
2: It's interesting what you said, Grace, that this is, you know, not the favorite for a lot of people. I think certainly at the time it was airing that was the case, but I don't think it is anymore. I would say, you know, just in conversation with people that you ask someone's favorite series and DS9 is usually number one or two for most people, at least that I talk to. Well,
1: we've got a we've got a very high standards of people we interact with, for one thing. Um, (laughs) For another thing, I feel like that was also kind of the crux of the documentary there that they come around to by the end of it is that it was a show that didn't really have the full audience that it should have had when it was airing but after a while and in hindsight it managed to gain that audience
0: yeah and partly due to streaming ability mm-hmm. um you know it starts out you got max redemption get a piano and then you have andy robinson who played garrick of course um kind of giving Being a super bit of a mysterious yeah mysterious intro um i i really love it and i think it it makes you it shows really well when you're watching with a group of other hardcore fans um Mm -hmm. i don't know that it needs to accomplish this but i did wonder like would it be just very confusing for someone who had only watched a couple episodes and maybe couldn't recognize some of those actors out of their makeup
1: definitely (laughs)
0: uh definitely but i'm um,
1: I get the feeling that this documentary was intensely intended for a specific group of people who are familiar with and loved the show. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That said, show of hands, who wants to believe now that um, Andy Robinson is just a Svengali master behind the scenes at various <laughs> Star Trek uh, what-to-dos? I was um, trying to say, what do you call them? and to-dos, and it came together as what-to-dos.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I'll accept that.
2: I was really amused that, I mean, they the third introduction <laughs> of, of the
1: documentary.
2: They had they, a lot of
1: introductions going they on. They just had a lot of ideas and they wanted to use them all.
2: But I, I was very amused that they read the hate comments. Oh, like, right I loved that as
1: an introduction.
2: And I was wondering, because, you know, I also, first time I saw this, saw it in, in a theater at one of the showings, and I found myself thinking, like, I wonder if anybody who wrote those is in one of these theaters tonight (laughs) and like (laughs) biting their tongue you know um it also of course we're not talking about discovery today but it reminded me of all of the online hate for discovery and just sort of you know everything old is new again Mm -hmm. yeah
1: in the seasons, they go
2: round and round, <laughs> and the
1: haters can only slightly expound. <laughs> They've only got two opinions between them. Amazing. So let's talk about the. Joni Mitchell is crying somewhere. <laughs>
0: Yes. Uh but let's uh let's talk about one of the very unique parts of this documentary. Uh stands out from any other Star Trek documentary I've seen, which is the whole breaking the premiere of season eight. And then let's maybe go into yes. some of the themes and uh other types of stuff that they explore about the behind the scenes and things, but um I think it makes sense to look at this sort of premiere of season eight that they're pitching, starting out with a bang with the Defiant exploding and Nog dying um what how did you guys feel about the that portion of the movie uh that sort of breaks up some of the other interviews and would you want to watch it i would definitely be curious for one thing it already (laughs) got us um with the
1: episode that they pulled together uh i disagree with some of the ideas but i like the direction they're going in in the sense that i would definitely keep watching to see what happens next um I also think it's pretty cool that we're getting this look behind the scenes at how a writer's room functions and how these guys as a writing team work together and just kind of what their dynamic was. Um, I don't think I've ever seen that really explored so much in uh, any pop culture documentary, just showing the writer's room at work.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. It
1: makes me wonder, though, how much they planned ahead of time and how much was really off the cuff.
0: (laughs) fair. But um, okay, and also warning to the audience, we are going to be talking about spoilers for this Deep Space Nine documentary. So if you haven't seen it yet, just be aware of that. I have a lot of conflicting feelings about this. Mm -hmm.
2: I think that it's a really interesting idea. I think it's a neat way to create a through line. And I also found it very interesting, and I don't know if it was intentional or not, that a lot of the characters sort of end up in similar roles as they are currently in the shared continuity novels. Yeah. <laughs> um, And maybe that's just, like, a natural progression of those characters, but maybe that's complete coincidence. Who knows? Um But, like, DS9, for as, like, groundbreaking and progressive and pushing the envelope as it was in the 90s, it gets a lot of criticism, and I think fairly so, that because of its serialized nature, it had the same writing team mm-hmm. for many years. Yeah. basically the same writing team. And that team was all male. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's
1: really noticeable when you have them all in a room working together.
0: Yeah.
2: Right. And I understand the concept of like, we're going to get the old team back together. But that means you're again, 20 years later, coming up with season eight in a room that is entirely male.
0: Yeah, Totally. Either way, I definitely, I mean, I know when I did my writer stats, like, no writer, no women were even credited in season seven um, for writing anything on Deep Space Nine. It doesn't mean no woman ever looked at a script, but it really it just kind of a few reinforced it. And I mean, throughout the documentary, there's a few women behind the scenes that are included in interviews and stuff, but they're not really, like, hugely significant people behind the scenes when you compare them with, like, Ira and Michael Piller and Rick Berman right. and, uh, you know, even some of the, like, regular more regular writer-directors. Um, there's, like, Julie Laurie Johnson in casting. That's awesome. Denise Okuda um, working as part of the design team. And uh, you have um, B.C. Cameron, I believe, who's a-, a first assistant director who has, like, a very short thing about Avery Brooks. So, Yeah, Mm -hmm. I definitely reinforced that this was not an exceptionally diverse behind the scenes group.
2: Yeah, and I would hope, you know, it's all hypothetical, but like, I would hope that if this were real, um, that actual writers room would add some people of color and some women and some queer folks and some, you know, trans or non-binary people. Just to mix up the experience. Yeah, diversify where the writers are coming from, because
0: right now they're all coming from the same point of view yeah a hundred percent i mean i'll throw out there one thing comment i have on the the season eight premiere um is so this whole um so they're talking about this being 20 years in the future so the idea is that some of the characters will have changed to the point that like bashir could theoretically be in charge of section 31 um kira could be potentially raising an army of Jem'Hadar. <laughs> Which mostly I only question that, like, 20 years after the end of the Dominion War, that how are the Jem'Hadar there just, like, hanging out? But also how would the Federation not know that this was happening? Or they do, but they're, like, being covered up by Section 31. But I don't know. I just question that, like, someone could just go preach to a whole group of Jem'Hadar and that it would be, like, not a massive deal before that point like that anyway that Kira would think that it would be a secret <laughs> also I just don't like shady Kira like I'm I can sort of live with the religious leader Kira but it's even not my favorite part of the shared continuity novels I wanted more time for Kira to just be in charge of d space 9
1: yeah I would have been down with that too definitely I also thought it was a little weird that when they're talking they're like and uh and Bashir and Dax are still in a relationship and like, oh yeah, that way we've got at least one happy relationship that lasts. And it's like, um like thirty seconds ago you were showing us Miles and Keiko. What <laughs> you're trying to say there, guys. <laughs> I mean you you you're guys who have gone on about how you wish you could have done better with that relationship. This is a good chance to try and do a little something with that right now. Instead of just continuing the oh, they're married and hate each other thing.
0: Mm hmm. Just saying. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, what this really confirmed for me was that I would totally read a DS9 graphic novel on this Mm storyline. Or even just DS9 graphic novels with the same style. Like, I think the style was really cool and it made me envision, like, a different way that you could do DS9 comics, which we haven't had for a while. Um, So... Are you listening IDW? Yeah, I'd be I'd be down with that. I'm not sure I would be super into this being the premiere for a series, but I was thought it was uh some cool art and there's some neat ideas in there.
2: Any other thoughts on that? It's still sad that it
1: took Cisco 20 years to come
2: back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, who knows? Like Picard might stop by Deep Space 9 in in the new series.
1: I mean, I guess. You can't stand dramatically in a vineyard on Deep Space Nine, though.
2: <laughs> no.
1: Nah. Which, as I understand, is kind of a important aspect of this new series.
0: Maybe we'll find out if Bejor ever joined the Federation. So let's talk about maybe some of the themes and moments. And um, I'm happy to let you folks throw them out if you have some you've been thinking of. Um, but uh, maybe just to start semi-chronologically. Um, because right off the bat, there's a fairly, um, big discussion about race in DS9 and about, mm-hmm. like, uh, particularly the casting of Avery Brooks and the need for him to, um, be, like, clean cut in the earlier seasons, um, mm-hmm. that I thought was really interesting. Either of you have any well, thoughts on that?
1: Well, it's, um, it's definitely not a new thing or a new conversation topic to talk about how, um, People of color, specifically black people, and their characters' representation, uh, their appearances are really policed a lot. And I thought that was interesting that they went into that as one of the first things discussed about with Avery Brooks being uh, the lead on this series. Mm-hmm. Because it, it it's as plain as the hair on his face, really. The need to make him uh, safe and approachable looking uh, when the show started out.
2: Yeah. I mean, by all accounts... In this documentary and like in other panels and at other events, it, I get the impression that Avery Brooks was very aware, sort of in all of the ways that this character could be perceived. So he, like the, the opinions weren't just like necessarily personal, mm-hmm. but they, it was, he, he was aware of, The way that he stood is going to mean something. His relationship with his son is going to mean something. His facial hair is going to mean something. And these are all important aspects to this character that, like, the white audience might not get. Like, sort of like when we talked about queer coding, Mm -hmm. right? It's not for the straight audience to get. Maybe this stuff is not for the white audience to get. But for a certain audience, it's very important. And that
1: definitely adds a level of complication going into being the lead on a new Star Trek series that we I'm going to guess our previous leads didn't have to really deal with. Mm-hmm. So much uh, except for, you know, um, Patrick Stewart having to have a toupee in the <laughs> test shots and all that. But that's a little different. Yeah.
0: Yeah, um, there's there's kind of two parts in this documentary where they talk significantly about race. There's this beginning part about Avery Brooks' appearance where they have uh, the Paramount former exec, uh, Carrie McCluggage, who seems kind of, um, he's, if anything, like, the most kind of, I guess, antagonistic to Ira in the thing, in mm-hmm. that, like, Ira's calling him out on things he didn't agree with at the time a lot more and, like, why did this also, have to he happen? he is just...
1: Dressed like a cartoon caricature of a rich white guy. Oh my
0: god, the like the, sh- the like cardigan sweater over the yeah like, tied around his neck. Yeah, very much. I mean,
2: you also get the impression that his opinions haven't changed much. Yeah, mm. yeah. he
0: has this whole like, uh, we wouldn't want him to appear like quote unquote street or like, for the lack of a better word. And it's like, find a better word. Oh, there's yeah. a be- there's a better word. Um, but um, then. And this, the part at the beginning, I felt like, like, they do interview, um, Penny Johnson, who played Cassidy, and they have a bit of her opinion, but it was mostly just, like, I thought he was really sexy without his hair. And, um, partly because Avery didn't do new interviews for this movie, that part, like, feels a little bit, like, uh, or, like, tilted towards interviewing white people about Avery Brooks' appearance, but the second part later, where it's talking about him as, like, a a strong Black father figure who's a positive figure for Jake um, that I thought was, like, pretty well done with um, Sarah Lofton. And um, it was just, like, a really nice part of the documentary.
1: I really appreciated Sarah uh, also drawing to attention the fact that this series was coming out and they were having a Black man be in charge of this sci-fi setting in this narrative utopia you know, so soon after the Rodney King riots and Mm. how that brought into the fact that we've had 20 years of social advancement since this show aired, but have we really? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Did either of you have a particular moment or theme that you wanted to throw out there as we go around?
1: The fact that we have them talking about past tense and the fact that there are people who were like, oh, it was so prophetic. And I think it's cool that we uh, have Alexander Siddig point out it's not really prophetic if it never really stopped, if it's still mm. just been going. Mm-hmm. And that's a really good point. And
0: yeah, again,
1: bringing it back to, we've had 20 years of progress, but how much progress have we really made as uncomfortable as it is to to look at? So
0: um let's talk a little bit about uh the issue of queer representation and how that comes oh, out let's, please. in this documentary but wait
2: what was next should we just go down the checklist what was next on the checklist well they had war
0: okay religion well, I mean, a good consequences war. of war right yeah uh so let's explain what the checklist is just to recap if you saw the thing in the screening like six months ago that basically there's a part where ira is looking over a computer with what's his name sue i it is luke Snailham, okay. an editor who worked on the documentary awesome and they're basically looking through some of d space nine's greatest hits and the the conceit that they have going is that they're checking off some of the big things that they did that were like groundbreaking or controversial so they've taught they've addressed war they've addressed religion what was the third one on there
2: um I think race was one of them and consequences of war was one of them.
0: And then the the last one is uh, queer representation or LGBTQ plus representation. Mm -hmm. Sue, did you want to talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. um, I think that, again, many feelings. (laughs) (laughs) I think that it's nice. They're not letting themselves off the hook with this one. They're not saying, oh, wait, well, we did that gay episode. It's fine. I'm, I also wonder though if they, they set the bar high enough, even though they're not letting themselves off the hook. Uh, I think that, again, I'm not sure that, that the writing team or the documentary team realized that they created a trans icon, you know? Yeah. So. <laughs> it's, it's amazing that that kind of goes over their heads and. Right. So, I mean, even though they didn't write it into the show, they, there is this sort of, lasting result of the Dax character um there's also they they talk about like what if we had had or even asked to have Garrick like fully come out as gay and pursue this relationship and just be this character and um I thought it was uh, nice isn't the right word um but it it was good to have Ira just flat out say like we didn't even ask like we can't Give Give ourselves a pat on the back if we didn't even ask even whether regardless of whether the the network would have allowed this, but um in that same conversation, uh Luke, our friend Luke, says that profit and lace quote plays even better now than it did back then, Does and that it? that is quite a cringy moment, I think for for everybody here today. a little bit of leap in judgment there, buddy. <laughs>
1: Like, do you want to elaborate on that, dude? Do you want to
2: explain yourself there? I mean, maybe, like, to this person, like, this is funny. And it's even funnier now because of all the stuff in the news, right? But, like, transphobia is not funny. Transphobia is a problem. And that's a lot of what this episode is. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah, I, I've i honestly never heard anyone say that episode like watches better now than it did then if anything i've only heard people be like man that aged like milk yeah or just it was never that great um so that was that was a weird comment that did stand out to me um by the way the other item on the list was homelessness so it wasn't race but that was when they were talking about past tense and it was about homelessness but they did talk significantly about race in this it just wasn't part of that particular scene
1: Well, it's interesting how we've got um, Ira stopping to be like, no, one episode in seven seasons, that's not enough. We should have had another gay character. And that just kind of got me thinking for a second. I was like, well, raise your bar a little higher, because if you were going to really put an effort into it, you would have had continuous representation going and trying to push your representation boundaries farther and farther. I mean, like, it's well known that there are a lot of TV writers who only think that we exist during sweeps week, (laughs) or if for the necessity of a very special episode. And that's just not true. LGBTQ people exist all the time and everywhere. And they don't stop just because the person who's writing doesn't feel like they need to put it, put in the effort that week or that we need to have another representation episode. It's just, if you're really going to push the envelope, push the envelope, don't do it for risk or shock factor. Do it for the fact that, uh, it's, it's normal. It's norm. It needs to be normalized in media.
2: Yeah. But is the height of that bar a direct result of the fact that that writer's room is, you know, if, if they had, people of color if they had queer people in that room that bar would get pushed a little bit higher each time or somebody Mm -hmm. would say no that's not a great way to to represent this thing that you you say you want to try to represent and that that is the benefit of having diversity in your writers oh for
0: sure i I mean i guess like for benefit of the doubt that like that wasn't what he was saying would be the bar but was just like here's ways we could have made this better like not like yeah. this would have been enough to be like 100 percent a plus um but <laughs> um i think that i did think it was really cool to be like yeah we should have uh, made garrick canonically gay um yeah after the wire where Bashir helps him break his addiction, and then we would have had this whole, like, thing with Bashir going on for, like, five years, which means that they mm-hmm. maybe could have made Bashir buy, and that would have also been right. super cool, Hell and then yeah. you would have had a bi character of color, um, and, like, there's a lot of other stuff they could have done, and I, I did appreciate that it was not, um, because there are a lot of people that will be like, oh, you can't say that Trek excluded gay people because rejoined. And they just, like, point at that episode as, like, it checked a box. And I think it's great that he literally said, no, this didn't check the box.
2: Yeah.
1: And again, it's always good when someone has a single example that they like to point out to you repeatedly as if that solves an entire problem forever. Yeah. And I also like... My single example here negates any and all previous experience.
2: We've had a black president. Racism is over. Yeah. Oh goody. <laughs> sorry.
1: Homophobia is done because the L word happened.
2: <laughs> oh. No.
0: Yeah, no. Uh <laughs> so uh no. let's uh sort of spin off a related topic because we were talking about rejoined and um can we talk a bit about the um Well, there's a couple different pieces I want to talk about, including, like, the general, um, let's, let's maybe start with the general part where they talk about, like, badass women in DS9, and they have the, like, the bitch by Meredith Brooks montage. How do we feel about that section?
1: I'm a fan of the song personally in the sense that the gist of it is, I am many things, you don't know how to handle that, which (laughs) speaks to my lady experience, but I know, um... The title alone is a loaded term, and it doesn't have to speak to everyone, but it does feel like kind of boxing it in early on when they're talking, uh, putting specific emphasis on the characters, and they go from, like, Cisco and Odo to the two women.
0: Yeah, and they kind of come back to both of them again later on, but it also... They do, but initially
1: lumping them together kind of rubbed me the wrong way.
0: I, I don't have a problem with the song. In fact, I, like, I think that is a pretty generally, like, generally fun for a lot of people kind of like feminist anthem and it was of the same era as the show yeah. and it's a fun montage but at that point they're really like they have a lot of um comments from fans including friend of the show, show Sarah Gouldy who is awesome um but Yay! talking about why the women were significant and it's hard for me because I agree like the to the vast majority of it but they actually don't Include a lot of Nana, Visitor, and Terry Farrell talking in that section, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so it, it kind of contrasts with the parts where they're talking about why like race is significant, where they're in- actually interviewing Sirach and Avery Brooke, uh Avery Brooks. But like in the part about why women were so significant, it's like it almost felt like mm, like are you is it because their comments are actually kind of nuanced? Maybe, maybe not maybe i mean i feel like this is uh the harkens back
2: to a lot of what we've been talking about in panels lately so like the your warrior women panel grace thank you. And thank you the one released um from respect Podfest of like strong means lots of things
1: yes there right? is no it, universal strong female character
2: right so it doesn't just mean like kick ass and it yep. doesn't just mean warrior mm-hmm. it means a lot of things Esri is a strong character. Just look at everything she's been to up until the point that she arrives on DS9.
1: Cassidy
0: is a strong character. Cassidy's strong.
1: We don't see her doing karate or anything. I feel
0: like some of those characters are in that montage. Yes. So for me, it was almost more like I I don't actually question that those characters are strong women characters on their own. Maybe, um, like, I think DS9 does have a range of those representations, but what I guess was more the issue for me is, like, knowing a lot of the other things that those actresses have said about playing those roles. Um, Like, we know, you know, Terry Farrell has had interviews where she says, like, I wish that Nana and I talked about things other than guys sometimes. Like that seemed to be a lot of uh-huh. our scenes together. And we know that Nana Visitor didn't want to end up with Odo. And like, so that kind of stuff I it almost felt like it was kind of like missing to make way for the like DS9 is a feminist like success story narrative whereas i think you can still actually argue that but still have a bit more of a nuanced look
2: yeah i think that ds9 the show itself actually does a much better job with its women characters than this documentary does of explaining that right because I, I feel like the doc is is looking at them surface level like look at these kick-ass ladies that we have okay moving on Instead of. They've already
1: checked that box off the list.
2: Right. <laughs> right. But I mean, I, I know, um, Nanat talks about it quite a bit about, um, Kira being a terrorist mm-hmm. and how, you know, that wouldn't have played later, you know, post 9 11. Um, and we, we hear Terry Farrell talk a little bit about when they decided to make Dax more roguish. Uh, and some of the, the special features, the extra, Fan interviews talk a lot about how um, Dax was inspiring because she was so confident in herself. But I feel like those, those comments from the women who played these characters were not in the section where they talked about how great the women characters were.
1: You got to really wonder which stuff um, ended up on the cutting room floor because they felt it wasn't entirely relevant to this narrative they wanted to create about Deep Space Nine And how much just isn't there because you can't have a five-hour documentary that isn't directed by Ken Burns. (laughs) Oh my god, can you imagine a Ken Burns Star Trek documentary? Because now that's the thing my heart wants more than anything else on Earth.
0: At the end, we're definitely going to talk about the, you know, in the credits, uh, spoiler, Mm -hmm. they uh, poke fun at some of the things they weren't able to make in the documentary. So let's uh, talk about the things that are missing when we get to the end. Uh, But I also want a giant uh Ken Burns special on Star Trek um <laughs> Ken Burns plus a highly diverse team of writers and producers <laughs> but yes um so we were talking about that like what stuff made it in and didn't in terms of I guess just the way a story is told versus like entire topics that are left out and that also was something I wondered about in the part about Terry Farrell leaving DS9 um mm-hmm. did you guys have any thoughts on the way that that was shown in this film
1: I had thoughts about the fact that when she's talking about this and kind of how she felt like she was done dirty by the whole situation, everyone else in the room just looks so uncomfortable.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I I don't know if it's the drama hog in me, but
0: that, that just really stood out to me.
2: Well, and that they cut, I think it's to Michael Dorn, who yeah. says the only people who really know are the people who were involved. Yeah, that part really yeah. bugged
0: me, because like, that's how that section yeah. ends, and... I did feel like it was kind of saying, like, oh, well, it's he said, she said. And we all know, because right. of other interviews, that she's talking about Rick Berman. Um, when she says mm-hmm. that, you know, one of the producers uh, mm-hmm. told me that if I weren't there on the set, I'd be a Kmart. And uh, mm-hmm. we know who she's talking about, but, like, Rick Berman is, like, super buddy-buddy in this movie. Like, I mean, there there's obviously some challenging of each other happening between him and Iris Stephen Bear, but they're also... You know, talking about how it was ultimately a pleasure to work together and all that kind of stuff, and I don't know, that just, um, I get why you have to do that in, t- like, in order to make your documentary, and, you know, Rick Berman did have a really important role in producing a lot of Star Trek, but it just feels kind of, like, unfair to mm-hmm. put him in this position of authority where he doesn't really have to comment on this situation where Terry Farrell's been pretty open about how she feels she was treated and then just to be like, huh, who knows what really happened? Mm-hmm. Moving on. And then actually, and it's not like right after Doran says that thing, then they go to the writer's room and someone goes, who died? And then they're like, oh, Jed Z. Oh yeah, ha 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 ha. And it feels like, I don't know, yeah. it just it kind of hurts me as a fan who... Love that character and someone who believes that, you know, maybe the women on that show weren't always treated the best behind the scenes.
2: Yeah, it reads as really tone deaf.
0: Yeah. And it also is
2: reminiscent of Gates McFadden and Maurice Hurley. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in in however many years between those two issues,
0: perhaps not much changed. Yeah. Yeah. Can I share another moment that made me uh, very uncomfortable in this documentary, which is the the, the part where um, they're talking about Nana Visitor and Mark Alaimo. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. um, they're, you know, they're going back and forth between uh, uh, Mark Alaimo talking about, you know, him maybe not getting enough encouragement. And there's some weird kind of awkward moments in this documentary where it seems like the filmmakers are like – judging the interviewees um and that's one where you know he's going on this thing about like i didn't get enough encouragement and ira goes back and he's like well we kept having you back that's how we give actors encouragement and they like show Marco face and there's this kind of like circus music that's almost like you know waka waka yeah yeah but there's this whole thing where Nana Visitor talks about how, like, one of the times she was the most upset was when Iroh said that in the next episode they were going to write that she and Ducott like, fall in love with each other and they have a, a thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nana is being interviewed and she is, like, very upset about this thing and then she slips up and goes, like, anybody except Marco Limo. I mean, anybody except Gal Ducott, And, like, everyone's laughing that it's, like, a slip. And then um they cut to Marco Limo and he's saying, like, oh, well, like, of course he wanted her. I mean, I know that because I wanted her. And then they are playing that for Nana, and she's, like, rolling her eyes super uncomfortably. Because what are you supposed to Mm. say? Like, yeah, no, that's sexual harassment. Like, that was obvious, and it was sexual harassment. Um, Because this is, like, supposed to be a loving documentary about this show that they were all on, and it, it just kind of, like, it was, like, I guess... I don't know, I just felt like it was insensitive to put her in that position, and it was gross to play that moment for humor, because that isn't cool.
1: Even in the making of documentary of the show, we get to see behind the scenes how much the show could have benefited from having some more women behind the scenes, which is
2: meta and depressing. They made a lot of choices to include, like, slip-ups or jokes or things that they Aren't sure redid. about yeah, like, Nana even says, let me do that again. And she says it again and says, "Goldukan." Mm-hmm. And, like, I feel like the intent of that was, oh, I don't want you to put that in there. And then they put that in there. That happens a lot. And I feel like those are interesting choices to make and choices that, like, might not make your
0: interviewees as comfortable. Yeah, I think, like, the intent was to... um you know, that this this was going to be a documentary unlike the rest of the Trek documentaries, just like DS9 stood apart from the other Trek series that we're going to make. It's going to be a little bit quirkier. It's going to be um, mm-hmm. more creative. It's maybe going to be darker. But um, there were like moments where just given the amount of stuff that did stay on the cutting room floor, I really questioned whether you needed to leave in people talking about things they weren't sure about, like that whole Rashomon thing about Ferengi prosthetics, where at the end they mm-hmm. were like, well, we really don't know what happened, but maybe, and it wasn't even super important, it was like maybe one day Max and, and Armin mixed up their foreheads, or or maybe they mixed up their noses, or maybe I neither. Know, I, felt like, I felt like the
1: Rashomon analogy was a good thing to have in the middle of a documentary talking about the making of a show 20 years ago in the sense that, there's a lot of stories being shared here, and it's a matter of faded memory and apocrypha a lot of the time. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I just feel like I didn't care that much about that story about prosthetics, that I needed it to take time away from some of the other stuff that could have made it in.
1: That's true. I think it was more more the, the symbol of the story than the story itself.
0: Well, just to
2: that point, I mean, they have the, in the special features on on the DVD, there's a whole section of what we left out and they're close to fully produced if not completely fully produced and it looks like they just took them out almost after the doc was done and there are some some bits in there that are really interesting or give new information whereas like what they kept in i'm assuming these things were cut for time and not for narrative but who knows where and and what they left in were jokes mm-hmm. which like i get it You want to amuse your audience, especially if you're, like, asking them to come to a theater. But, like, I would have enjoyed seeing the Trials and Tribulations sequence much more than the prosthetics mix-up sequence in the theater.
0: I haven't watched all the special features yet, to be totally honest. But I um, did go checking because um, a couple of the things that I felt were the most... Uh, glaring omissions for me as a lover of Deuce Ace 9 and someone who cares a lot about the women characters were uh, especially Kai Winn. Um, I kept mm-hmm. being like, when are they going to get to Kai Nguyen? And they have this big thing on Ducat. They have a fairly big thing on Damar. I assume that it's because Louise Fletcher either was not available or, or didn't want to do an interview for some reason. And I get that that makes it challenging. And same with the female changeling, uh, Salome Jens. Um, but there was an outtake about the female changeling, but she's not actually interviewed. It's just kind of Renee Aubergine talking about um, what a great actor she was, and then speculating that maybe they didn't make her um, her own prosthetic face um so it didn't (laughs) and also how long her legs are yeah yeah also that yes she was very very sexy apparently um so i i don't feel like i agree that wouldn't have added that much to have it in there but it would have been i didn't see anything that i thought was about kai win based on the title or the first you know couple minutes watch through And I felt like that was a really big omission to not even have some of the other people talking about having Louise Fletcher on that show, because she was such an important character. Even when they're listing the guest stars, they don't list her, and they're listing, like, Duncan Regeer. And you're like, oh, right, Shakar. Oh, right, Barile. Like, no. (laughs) Kaiwen.
1: Oscar winner Louise Fletcher. Just saying.
0: Yeah,
2: it's a strange omission. And I guess, like, is, do they think that people hate that character? Because, like, yeah, she's a villain, but she's a great
0: character. I don't know. I think maybe maybe they just couldn't get her for the interview and so decided not to go that route of even creating the material. Or maybe she didn't come up in interviews, but I, I don't know. I don't think they're steering away from controversy. They're certainly, like, standing up for some of their yeah. moments. that Having a conversation about the
1: legacy of Deep Space Nine and not having Kai Wynn come into it seems a little odd to me, though.
2: It's just a very strange omission. Mm. Yeah. Oh, well. Especially when you're talking about the strength of your supporting cast Mm. and the people you have on call every week. Yeah. You're not going to bring up
0: Louise Fletcher. Like, she's on the board, but they don't actually have her name spoken or show her picture as, like, the central picture. Yeah. So it's odd. That was, for me, the biggest thing that what i was missing went down
1: between ira and louise <laughs> what went down
0: so uh grace did you have any things that you uh felt were missing that you hoped were would have made it in there oh there's
1: many there's many incredible just one-off guest stars that we talk about recurring cast members and we briefly get to talk about the fact that uh jeffrey combs gets shot by one of the guys from the mod squad but I would have liked to see more discussion on the fact that there are some really incredible actors doing uh, complete one-off roles throughout the series, and personally, that's always a treat for me, and I feel like that's one of the things you can always find engaging about uh, serialized television and no, I just would have highlighted that personally mm-hmm. that but then again I'm not a documentary filmmaker so
0: I feel like the fan interviews worked generally pretty well there was a good range of um topics that people were talking about and characters that people cared about and people from different places in the world so that was kind of cool mm-hmm. okay let's let's talk about the um HDing of ds9 since this seemed to be a really big deal and um was the entire topic of like the post uh film feature that uh, sue and i saw when we saw it at the screenings um how do we feel about hdds9 why not hds9 <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: i'm a i'm i love the fact that when you see something that probably wasn't initially um supposed to be in hd converted into hd you get to see a whole lot of A whole other level of detail my favorite is in old martial arts movies when you can see like where people's wigs end or where the duct tape is peeling off the sword and (laughs) i know it's weird and pedantic but that's always just a little treat for me so i'm always a fan of seeing any old shows converted into hd so we get that level of a oh hey that's how they did that and b oh It was not a majestic golden sword. It was made out of spray-painted duct tape. And that's okay.
2: (laughs) Yeah. No, I always uh, see lace lines. Yeah. (laughs) Like, my eye is just drawn to them. But I go looking sometimes for, like, makeup lines. Mm -hmm. Like, where the the edges of the prosthetics are. Mm Yeah. And I don't know if they, like, cleaned them up. But oftentimes I can't find them. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I can. But, like... It's just, it's very interesting to me what the eye picks up and what it doesn't, Mm -hmm. or maybe I just
0: don't know how to look for it right.
1: Also, it's a way to sort of showcase just how much work went into what they were doing. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I do think it was worth it for this movie, even though, you know, it took longer to release and everything. I think um, it showed what's possible, and I really noticed it actually watching it on the Blu-ray at home because I'm more used to watching... SD DS9 at home um, and I was like wow this looks a lot better whereas at the theater I, I just kind of took it for granted a bit um, yeah but yeah it looks really good and um, yeah wish it would happen doesn't sound like it's gonna happen that we're gonna get a released uh, a full remaster but um, we're allowed nice. to dream we're allowed to dream yeah
2: I mean the thing that makes me doubtful about the full remaster is that yes some people would purchase it but not as much as all those years ago when they fully remastered the original series. Yeah, probably not. Right. Sadly. Because streaming.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that not enough fans care enough to watch, to, like, seek out the HD version. But I don't know. I mean, maybe if copyright laws weren't so ridiculous at some future date, we'd just have some enterprising individuals who could remaster the whole thing in like and make it available excellent usage of the word enterprise in there yes (laughs) that said that's not gonna happen in our lifetime so uh (laughs) it's gonna be wild Uh,
2: technology (laughs) might get to the point eventually where like it can be a lot more automated yeah i don't know i i don't work on video editing but who knows um there there's certainly like fan vids or maybe they'll just be
0: some eccentric billionaire who will be like this is what i want to oh, spend that, all my that money I can on get
2: <laughs> there are certainly some fan vids up on youtube that people have mm-hmm. made themselves and remastered themselves that look absolutely amazing so awesome
0: well um i feel like um we're nearing wrapping up this discussion do we want to rate this video well, I would definitely say by the end of it, I was super pumped up and wanting to watch more Deep
1: Space Nine. <laughs> so uh, problems and all, it it accomplished its goal. So I would say um, 3.5 out of four space stations specifically designed so that an eight-year-old could draw them.
2: <laughs> Sue? I actually quite liked that point when Michael yeah. Kudo was talking about it's it. It's a good like, point. Yes, I get it. Um... <laughs> I think I would rate this, ooh, 7 out of
0: 10 stable wormholes. Mm-hmm. Ooh. I'm I'm going to give this 8, well, I was going to say 4 out of 5, which is the same as 8 out of 10. So, 8 out of 10 gayrax, which is canonically gay gayrax. Hell <laughs> yeah! <laughs> yeah, and uh, let's uh, finish off with any final thoughts and or... If we were going to make a five to eight hour Ken Burns ZNDS nine documentary, oh what gosh. would be the theme of the episode you would write? Sad little fiddle music, because that's always in Ken Burns
1: documentaries.
0: <laughs> You'd make oh my, what like what would you make an episode about? Like what what would be the part that you would want to focus on for an entire episode?
1: Um oh, I would say uh, the changing world of Klingon cuisine. <laughs> <laughs> Sue
2: well okay if we're final thoughtsing too yes I do just want to bring up um, that some of the Amazon reviews of the Blu-ray just sort of mirror the the comments that they're reading at the beginning of the documentary
1: you didn't like the show why did you watch the documentary about it
2: it's it's stuff like and then I thought I was going to be watching a documentary about a Star Trek show and then they got political Mm -hmm. like (laughs) okay fam like <laughs> they're just if if you have like a strong continence um, and you want to go read those it makes for a a great afternoon of hilarity if you feel like reading some uh uh wow. what's
0: the word depressing amazon reviews
2: it just uh, like cue the sad fiddle music
0: <laughs> deaf reviews <laughs>
1: What about you, Jara? What's your Ken Burns Star Trek based documentary? I think
0: it would have to be a crossover between uh, Ken Burns Star Trek and Ken Burns Jazz, and it would be the <laughs> Jazz influences behind Vic Fontaine episodes. Ooh. Wow! Yeah,
1: hosted by Will Riker. Yeah,
0: totally. <laughs> um, I mean, also you could crossover with Ken Burns Baseball. <laughs> oh my god, that would
1: be amazing! Ken Burns's Deep Space Baseball. Please, can we make that this episode title?
2: More seriously, though, I'd love to spend eight hours talking about that costume shop. Oh, yeah, Yeah. absolutely.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of um, a lot of opportunity for more. Um, So, you know, just let's just view it as a positive. First of all, there's a lot of special features. I'm still making my way through them. Uh, Makes it a good reason uh, to pick up the uh, Blu-ray. And um, if there's also just more room for more documentaries to touch on this stuff and more books and all that kind of stuff if you
1: love a thing continue the conversation on it yeah <laughs> awesome
0: yeah all right well uh let us wrap up then so grace where can people find you elsewhere on the internet
1: you can find me on twitter at bonecrusherjank and you can also find my heart far beyond the stars
0: and sue
2: You can find me on Twitter at Spaltor, that's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. And you can find me in person, along with Elijah from Priority One, at New York Comic
0: Con, the first weekend of October. Nice. And I'm Jarrah, and you can find me on Twitter at J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin or at TrekkieFeminist.com. If you want to get in touch with our show – you can find us at women at you can contact us through the website or on social media we're on uh, facebook twitter and instagram at women at warp and uh we are also on all the podcasty channels to leave us ratings and reviews so those are ways to get in touch with us or you can email us at crew at womenatwarp.com. and for more from the roddenberry podcast network visit podcasts.roddenberry.com thanks so much for listening The Roddenberry Podcast Network, podcast.roddenberry.com.